Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at... 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening and welcome to Breaking the Silence. And I'm Greg and welcome to my home here in the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. As you can look behind me, you can see some clouds up there in the sky, but boy, it's been rainy and and kind of overcast all day. And uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mamas out there. And if you still have a mom, uh, make sure you take some time to reach out and hug them, put your arms around their neck and just tell them how much you care and how important they are to you. Uh, for those of us that our moms have gone on, uh, sometimes this day can be kind of tough because uh, you do miss them. But just just welcome to the program, and, and we want to let you know that uh, the next couple weeks, uh, we have some really awesome, awesome shows, and tonight is no exception with our guest. Our guest tonight is going to be one of those money-back guarantees, and you better get some duct tape and uh, tape your socks on, because his story is going to blow your socks off probably before the evening's over, but it's really going to be great. If you want to get involved in the program, there's a couple ways to do it tonight, 888-627-6008. You can call right in, and the wonderful people at the BBS radio station will answer. It'll be TJ or Doug or Don, uh, and they will pass you right on through to uh, us, uh, me and our guests tonight. Or you can get on the uh, Breaking, no, the Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page, and I'm looking at that, and it is up and running right now. Uh, my son, my youngest son, Curtis, is running that from uh, his home base in Seattle, Washington, in the United States Army. And uh, he keeps on track of that. If there's any, it looks like we already have. Uh, no, that's him commenting, welcoming everybody to the program. So if you have a comment, feel free to jump on there and uh, let that be known. Or you can even text me, uh, 832-396-6525, and I'll read the text to our guests. So there's all kinds of different ways uh, to connect with us tonight. You know, I always like to start off with just a couple of things that, uh, maybe I experienced this week or discovered this week. And and I have discovered in somewhat of a strange way that happiness uh, is a location that you can't travel to. Happiness isn't something that you can own or purchase. Happiness isn't anything that you earn. Uh, happiness isn't something that you wear. It's nothing that you consume. Happiness is literally a sacred experience of living every moment that you can with love and gratitude and appreciation for what that moment in time means to you right then. You know, moments 
don't get to be repeated like you have a DVR and and you hit and say, hey, I want to say, see that uh, play of the day again between the Astros and the, the Cubs or whoever. Um, happiness is one of those things that happen in that moment needs to be enjoyed. So don't overlook those little things. We also need to be learners in life, students in life that happens to us and never stop learning, experiencing what we have the ability to be able to experience in our life. And sometimes we overlook that. Sometimes we think, oh, well, at my age and all of my gray hair up here, my lack of it, I'm starting to lose it up here, that I've probably learned enough. Are you kidding? I haven't learned even a minute amount of what is still potential out there. And every day I need to be a continual learner. And the best way to learn in this life is experience because experience is the best teacher. Uh, don't try too hard to uh, memorize what other people are teaching. Learn at the best practices and then do your own thing in those practices. And those experiences will teach you lots and volumes of things that you can't learn anywhere else. No one is too busy. Um, it's all about prioritizing. We all have the same amount of time in the day. Um, Einstein had the same amount of time in his day than what you do and what I do. Michelangelo and all the things that he created, uh, all these great artists that are just right down uh, hanging in the museum district, just a couple blocks away from here. All those artists that you go in and you see Picassos and Da Vinci's and all these wonderful paintings, they have the exact same amount of time in their day than what you do. It's not the fact that we don't have the time. It's the fact of how are you using the time that you have? And are you using it for the best value and impact of not only doing the best things for you, but doing a positive impact on other people? Are you making a difference in other people's lives? Be patient and tough. And you're going to need to probably learn this. And I think we're going to have a great example of this in our guests tonight, because someday the pain that you're going through right now may be useful. It may be a lesson within itself. Use that pain to be able to let it propel you to the next level. And sometimes pain can't be avoided, but God never wastes a pain. I promise you that. And last thing, nobody else is in charge of your attitude. Only you are. The truth is, unless you let go, unless you forgive yourself, unless you forgive the situation, unless you realize that the situation is over, you cannot move forward. You are responsible for how you feel, no matter what anybody else does or what anybody else says. You are responsible. Choose to look forward in hope, in dreams, in purpose, in value, and not look back. A lot of people, I do this myself, go, if I could just go back to that, I'll be happy again. 
That could have just been a season in your life. So don't assume that that's even available for you. And if you did return back to that, will it be the same experience, good or bad? Will it provide the same fruit, good or bad? Will it provide the same comfort that you thought you needed? It may be gone. So we need to continually to move forward. And remember, three steps forward and two steps back is still progressing. You're still making that one step uh, ahead. And sometimes those little steps mean all the difference. Just a few things I, I thought about this week. I needed to learn this week, and I just passed them on to you. Uh, so welcome uh, to that and write those down and just try to go into a new week. Uh, remembering that. I have a feeling that this week is going to be a new week of dreams being reached, of uh, new horizons coming up uh, in the landscape of life, and uh, reach out and go for it. Now's the time. Doesn't happen now. When's it going to? And if it's not you, then who? And uh, I think that could be some encouragement for you. Tonight, it is an honor to have Eric uh, McCoy with us tonight. And Eric has written a book that I just finished uh, this afternoon. And I have just uh, a few uh, things I want to talk to him about from that book that I write down up a little sticky note. Uh, since I bought it in Kindle, I highlighted and, and saved all the pages, but I can't do that while we're doing a radio show uh, because I'll be going through my iPad and that doesn't look good. So I started writing down some of these quotes and I wanted to ask him about some things. But he is a certified addiction treatment counselor and uh, he's been working in the substance abuse industry for over 20 years. And the book that I just read that you have available to you tonight uh, is called Pain, Failure, and Misery Are the Stepping Stones to Success. What? Wow. Okay, and we're going to find out all about that. He is his own talk show host. Uh, on his own, own talk show, uh, and he also is a host of Hot Topics on Johnny Rock and Roll Radio, so we're going to have a rock star uh, in our presence this evening, and his podcast is called Walk a Mile in My Shoes, but on his resume is also a six-time convicted felon, and he was facing 15 years in prison in 2001. And he was impressed upon a conviction that no matter where you have been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. And it is my privilege and honor to welcome to the program from the great state of California, uh, Eric McCoy. Can you hear me, Eric? I can. Hey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Hey, I want to take a step back real quick. Something, okay, you started, something you started with, and you were saying about appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> we're back with that, with the happiness part. Um, and I always say, you know, appreciation, the strongest outbound form of love, the idea of giving of everything and asking for nothing. And they've done studies that show that your mind cannot be in the state of fear and appreciation at the same time. And so possibly appreciation is the antidote to fear. How cool is that? <laughs> wow, that is pretty good. So we need to start appreciating what we got instead of uh, fear we're going to lose it. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's not about the woulda, coulda, shouldas, but it's about what I have, right? Yeah. 
Do you think, Eric, I mean, you just since we're going on that, let's just go ahead and roll with it. Do you think a lot of times that we overlook the very blessings that we're setting in because we want something that's bigger, better, and smells better, uh, and then we forget and lose the reality of where we're at, and we're doing pretty darn good in the situation we're in? Absolutely. I think we, I think we, there's so many things that we fail to look at. You know, when I was, you know, talking about being in custody, you know, when I got out of jail, I, um, I remember having a counselor. I had to go through a rehab too. And I had a counselor that, that said, write down your gratitude. What do you appreciate? What are you grateful for? And my list was huge <laughs> because, you know, going from having really a, nothing to walking out into the world, you know, I can say, oh my God, I appreciate the sun. I appreciate being able to use the restroom with nobody watching. I appreciate being able to go in the refrigerator and grab my own drinks, you know, and just, just the little things in life. And, but, but, and it's crazy. I mean, sadly, you know, it's like we have to lose things before we realize what we have. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, it sure is. I think we do that in physical material things, but it also in relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you and, what. Uh, ha go, happy go Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. <laughs> all right. I'll tell you what. Uh, first of all, where did you come up with this title? Because it's a unique title, yeah. and uh, but it sure grabs you and hooks you, and it's exactly what your book is. It's the outline of your book. Uh, where did you come up with that at? Yeah, it actually, I think it, I think I wrote the thing, the book, and then the name sort of fell in place um, because I, did realize, you know, you know, I learned a lot about myself, you know, as I analyzed myself and doing a book and writing a book, uh, an autobiography or a memoir or whatever you want to call it is one of the greatest ways that we can learn things about ourselves. I mean, I learned so much about myself just by, you know, going through that process and it, it, dawned on me as I, you know, because all the pain that I experienced was the, what ultimately got me to my success in life. I, I tell clients that I work with, I tell them, you know, you guys are the luckiest people in the world, right? And people are like, what are you talking about? No, you're the luckiest people in the world, right? Everybody out there has problems. You know, there's not, I mean, nobody, you know, nobody has lives this problem-free life, right? And, but we, as substance abusers and, you know, people that go, you know, get dragged through the depths of hell, you know, we have enough pain that it slaps us in the face that we say, whoa, I need to do something, you know, where the people that don't have those problems just sort of go through and they don't, I mean, how many people sit down, I always use this, but how many people sit down and just say, you know, I'm going to work on my self-esteem today. People don't do that. You know, no. but, but those of us that, you know, have, you know, you know, we go through treatment and we go through rehab, you know, and we learn self-esteem, we learn to love ourselves. We learn to look at, you know, there's n nothing that I've done that makes me who I am. Right. So my actions are not me. I'm the one that did those things. <clears throat> and, you know, when you really work on your self-esteem, you learn to love yourself. You learn to care about yourself. You can basically say, you know what? I appreciate the life, my experience that I had, everything that I went through, I'm grateful for today because I love who I am today. It didn't make me who I am, but it does help shape me. 
I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't have gone through that experience, you know, and I love who I am today. And when you embrace that, how much does it give you strength that there was a purpose of oh, all of that? Because it would have never, you would have never been where you are now helping other people in the way you are, if it wasn't for meth. Absolutely. You know, we, you know, you know, we always say like the greatest advocates out there, <laughs> you know, the greatest people that are fighting for other people, you know, have gone through these horrible experiences. And I do believe, I believe that, you know, there absolutely was a purpose for that, you know, for my experience. I mean, my, my nephews, you know, went to levels that some people don't really see, <laughs> you know, I mean, you kind of think about it. It's like, you know, who would, you know, you get arrested and then you post bail and you get arrested and you post bail. You know, most people would be like, all right, I got to do something different, you know, but my, you know, I was so physically dependent, you know, like you say tissue dependency, my body would not work without it. And, and so even though, you know, the, you know, we know that if I continue doing it, it's going to kill me. But I also believe that if I stop, it's going to kill me. You know, we know, and you know, I mean, you know, obviously stopping, it's the only way to survive, <laughs> but, but there's that battle that we, you know, our minds and the part of the brain that, um, you know, the drugs impact it's survival. For you, Eric, was because uh, I had a family member that got involved uh, in meth, and she told me when I went to visit her at the hospital after she had a terrible uh, event all from it, uh, we discovered that she was using. She said uh, from the first day, the first hit, she was hooked. Mm -hmm. Did you experience the same thing? How long ago did she do How long ago did she start? Oh, that was 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. At least. So, so that was, you know, the, you know, back, you know, we called it crank back then. You know, I think it was, you know, when I first started, it was crank and it was made with um, what they called P2P, uh, which is very powerful, extremely powerful. It's an industrial cleanser, which basically shows you how crazy it is. Right. <laughs> but very, very powerful. And I remember when, I first did it, you know, I, I did it and I felt on top of the world. I mean, I felt like, you know, I, I was more outgoing. I had energy. I was confident. I, you know, I, I felt just, you know, fantastic. And, um, and I remember thinking like, why isn't everybody doing this? <laughs> you know, I was thinking like, this is the greatest thing ever made. Right. And, and that's where I think it really does that, that initial, you know, like you can say like the first time I did it, am I, is my, you know, am I addicted? Probably not. I mean, you're, you don't have that tissue dependency yet, <laughs> you know, you could stop and then you'd be fine. Um, but because of that feeling and that yeah. mindset that you do just want to keep doing it, who, who wouldn't want to? Yeah. You have a quote. Uh, about that that says my elixir was meth and I became something of your worst nightmare mm -hmm. but while sober I was your greatest ally and best friend explain that so 
when I, the greatest example of this, that's of that part was my relapse. When I, um, in, I think it's, you know, that's a little later on in the book when I relapsed on, you know, at 11 years clean. Um, and, you know, during those 11 years, you know, I'd been counselor, program director, clinical director, executive director, owned a program, you know, all that stuff. And I did end up relapsing and people are kind of like, how would you, how could anybody do that? Um, after, especially, you know, having all the knowledge and all, you know, cause I did, I had all the, <laughs> I, I had all the knowledge and, um, and I remember, and I, and I, and I say today, again, I'm grateful for this experience because this showed me something that, um, I sort of believed and some people believe but I got to experience it, and now I can actually attest that it is absolutely true. So and here's what it is. <laughs> so, um, you know, everybody always says in, in recovery, they say that if you return to using, it's like you never stopped. Right? So you're like, you know, it's so like, you know, I stopped at 28 years old in 2002, and then I relapsed at uh, 40 at, uh, in 2013. Right. And so um, I remember the, the story behind it was my I had um, I owned a program and me and my business partner sort of had some disagreements. We had some issues. And so um, I left. I sold my shares and then I went to work for this lady. Amazing woman. Um, and our big focus was alternative sentencing because I loved, you know, working, getting people out of custody Um you know, prison and, and, you know, incarceration really doesn't do much for people. Um, but so let's figure out ways we can help people. And so that was my big fight. And so Nancy Clark or the lady that I worked with, she was somebody that, um, uh, was really all about that also. And, and, uh, but I took a huge pay cut, which was really, a, you know, um, obviously going from owning a program to now, I'm, you know, working for this lady. And so me and my girlfriend, who is now my wife, but me and my girlfriend, at the time, um, we decided that we were going to rent a room to somebody because we had an extra room and, you know, needed a little extra money for rent and stuff. So she knew of somebody that would be a good fit, or at least she thought she would be a good fit. Young guy who um, she had helped out when he was a kid, knew he had a prior drug problem, had a meth problem. And, and so I sat down with him before making the decision. And I told him that, you know, look, you know what I do? I work in, you know, obviously the field, you know, substance abuse. And if I think you're using, I'm going to search your room. I'm going to find your stuff and I'm going to throw you out. Right. And, um, so we let him move in. And after he was there for a couple months or whatever, I saw every sign in the world that he was using. And so I went in his room and I found four glass pipes. I smashed three of them, but I kept one. Oh, right? I kept one because I was going to, you know, say, Hey, check it out. Look at this now. Get out. Right. So I put it in my drawer. Now, this is a lesson for everybody in, in recovery out there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't do this, okay? So I put it in my drawer. You know, I had 11 years clean. You know, I, and during those 11 years, you know, I'd worked in rehabs. And I mean, we'd found meth in people's stuff, heroin, you know, paraphernalia. And none of it ever bothered me. Never bothered me. And so I put it in the drawer and I forgot about it for a couple of weeks. And, um, and I had a dream. Right. I had a dream that I got high and the dream was, was so powerful. I could taste it. I could feel it. Like when I woke up, I literally, I could taste it, you know? 
and uh and just it was it was it was powerful you know and and so i didn't do what i should have done which is i should have talked to my girlfriend about it or i should have called somebody and talked to them but i didn't do that either and um and so i thought about the pipe my girlfriend leaves i thought about the pipe and then i thought about the pipe, <laughs> right and and then i went and got the pipe and I did. And this is where I called like the battle between Beelzebub and benefactor, right? You know, Beelzebub, the evil benefactor, the kindly helper. And so I'm literally, and I can remember this so clearly, I literally am pacing, holding this pipe. And one thing's going, dude, you could just take one hit, just take one hit. And my other thoughts going like, dude, that's crazy. There's no way you can't do that. You know? And like, it was going back and forth, you know, in my mind. And uh, obviously, Yells above one. And, um, but I remember, I, you know, so this is where that, that whole thing, the, you know, with the, um, uh, the potion or elixir, you know, kind of thing. And is that, you know, prior to me doing that, prior to me taking the hit, um, I was, I had integrity. I'd give you the shirt off my back. I'd go do anything for you. You know, if you were in trouble, I'd come pick you up. I'd go, you know, whatever it was, you know, that, you know, I could, that I could do to help you. Um, and, and that was my mentality and I was, and I always went out of my way and I, you know, anything I could. And, and then I remember taking that hit and blowing it out and saying, and literally, I I won't say what I thought, but literally it was like, I'm, (laughs) I, I knew I was screwed, you know, I knew it. I was, and I. I, I, it literally that thought came as the pipe came out of my mouth right um the those in cra- you know the cravings and uh i ended up smoking the whole bowl you know and then of course my mind's thinking like where am i going to get more um and and at that point in time once i take that hit i don't care about you i don't care about anything i don't care about there's nothing that has any value anymore except for that that's the only yes. value and and that's what I tell people too in recovery is that, you know, when you're clean and sober, I value my family. You know, I value my house. I value my car. I value, you know, my friends. I value, you know, my job. I value, you know, so I have all these values. Um, I value myself, <laughs> right? And and then when, once I take that, you know, so that what, I, what I always tell people is that hold on to those values. If you can hold on to your values, not let those go, and also truly remember the fact that you're going to lose all of those values. You know, I, I told uh, somebody recently that, you know, if you, you know, dishonesty, it's not the lies that I tell other people that are going to kill me. It's the lies I tell myself, right? Yeah. And so the lie of I can do just one, the lie that I can manage it and control it, you know, is the, that's the stuff that's going to kill me. Right. But if I look at a relapse and I say, you know what? Okay. I want to get high. Right. I want to go use, but I, and I, I tell them, I go, but here's what I want you to do though. Right. Is that as you're going in that process to go find your dope or do whatever it is that you're going to do, be honest with yourself. Right. And I want you to say, I hate my family. I hate my friends. I hate my kid. Right. I don't care about them at all. They mean absolutely nothing to me because if I'm thinking that way, 
how can I go out and, and do something like that? You know, but it's those lies that we tell because you have to, you know, rat to rationalize when we rationalize something, we have to make a very, very poor decision. Make sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned on page 66, I believe on the Kindle edition, you have these lies that um, uh, you tell yourself and there was four of them. I'll never be happy clean and sober. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem and I can stop anytime. I can stay, I can't stay clean. And four, I'm not ready because I have things to do. <laughs> Are those the four that just literally control you when you're being it's, lied to by a above and he's on this shoulder and the other guy's on this shoulder and they're battling back and forth inside your head? Yeah, to me, it's a, it became a joke with my wife in terms of I got things to do, right? <laughs> because that was, you know, when... She was leaving me after like I, you know, my relapse. I mean, it got bad. It got horrible. You know, everything, you know, just completely fell apart. Six months was my, my, that relapse I had. And, um, and I always, every time I talked to her, I'd be like, yeah, I got things. Well, you know what? Let me, uh, I got to take care of some stuff. I got some things to do. You hear it all the time, right. From people, people are like, yeah, I'm coming into rehab, but hang on. I got some things to do first. <laughs> it was like, you got nothing to do, you know, <laughs> nothing good. Right. Yeah. Um, the, you know, um, the, I can't stay clean and sober, um, is something that, that, um, when you're, when you either before you take that big leap and go to rehab or do what you got to do, you, you, you'll have that mindset sometimes. And then, or once you're clean in early stages, you can start to feel that way. Like I can't do this, you know, yeah. that belief is untrue. Number one, because there was a point in your time and in, in life where you could stay clean and sober. So that's, a, I mean, it's a dishonesty, you know, by right. that, um, the, uh, the feel good one right now. So I have, so I have two podcasts and the radio show, right? So I have uh, walk a mile in my shoes, which is on controversy in a sense. And then I have this one here, which is high wall clean, <laughs> right? And, um, and so high wall clean is, is a recovery based podcast. I have great guests on there. Um, fantastic stories and the high wall clean premise sort of came to me, um, a long time ago when I would work with people and they would say that life's going to suck. I'll never, I'll never be happy. You know, I'll never enjoy things anymore without the drugs. Right. And, um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, you, you kind of really think too, like, I mean, come on, how bad did your life suck when you were using, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that comparison is kind of ridiculous, but, you know, but the truth is, right, is that highness is not a property of drugs. It's a property of people. We don't wow. get high on drugs. We get high on our own chemicals, which means that God gave us the ability to get high, <laughs> <laughs> right because that i mean all, dopamine you know dopamine the neurotransmitter is uh is what we get high on that's the pleasure now the drugs just manipulate those yeah so if that's true then then we can find ways to get high without drugs right that's awesome. We're going to have to take our, our only break tonight. Uh, 888-627-6008. On the other side of this, I want to find out, because right in the middle of one of your stories, you go into this brain science, and I'm like, whoa, 
this is good. And I grabbed my notepad and I started writing down and then circling stuff and highlighting it on the Kindle. It's like, wow, you have some knowledge. I want to find out and drill down a little bit deeper on that. But I also want you to make sure when we come back uh, that you give everybody how to get in touch with you, how the best way to get a hold of that book, uh, email, web pages, whatever, so we don't run long. Uh, because I have so many things I want to talk to you about that we get that information out on the other side of this break. 888-627-6008. We will be back in one minute and eight seconds. Hang with us. From HCI Publishing. That brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse. For 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes and Noble stores, Amazon, and Books a Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Speaking of darkness, looks like the physical darkness is starting. The sun's going down behind me. Welcome yeah. back, 888-627-6008. I'm having a wonderful time. This is just, this is what I know, Eric, you probably do that when you actually have somebody on the program that is a great conversationalist. I just feel like I'm I'm just learning about you and feel like I know you already by reading your book and just the way you're talking. This is awesome stuff. If people are connecting to this, because I know we have a lot of folks that have gone through recovery, that are in recovery, that are listening to the program right now. If they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? And then if you have your book, hold that up so we can see what it looks like and the best way to get a hold of that. Yeah, so uh, my website uh, and best way to get a hold of me is, I was, there's two, two emails, is uh, recoveryecosystem at gmail.com. Um, the other one is emccoy at highwallclean.org. And I don't know, for whatever reason, when I say uh, E. McCoy at High Wall Clean, people kind of spell it wrong, but it's just high, like you're getting high, while <laughs> clean. Okay. <laughs> so E. McCoy at org. You can email me anytime. Um, my website is is highwallclean.org. Um, if you just go to my website, um, it'll have all the links to everything uh, for my books. Um, there's uh, Here's my book. Yeah. Pain, failure, misery are the stepping stones to success. There's actually two versions of it. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know, even the Kindle version was was beautiful. I love that. Also, I have it uh, audio, which was fun. Did I, you I did, do it yourself? Yeah, I did it myself. Oh, I want to do that so bad. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to you after on the air. Uh, we get off the air sometime and and interact with you because I, I want to I want to have that experience. I think that'd be a hoot. It was fun. It was definitely yeah. a lot of fun. There's something because it's in the title of your book that I wrote down and I wrote down two different 
quotes that you put. I always try to read the book and then circle what I think to me is pivotal quotes that like, wait, that's major. A fine line between pain and pleasure, although that's not even a quote from you. I believe that's a quote from something shades of gray. Yes. <laughs> but a fine line yeah. between pain and pleasure. And then the other one was pain is your greatest motivator. Yep. Tell me about pain. Okay, so pain. So there's two. There's a pro, pain is our greatest motivator, and then there's a problem with pain, right? So yeah, pain is the thing that kicks us in the ass. You know, we need yeah. that sometimes um, to get us moving in whatever direction we can. You know, need anger, anxiety. I mean, pain. All of those are great. You know, sometimes we can get angry about something, and so it forces us to do something in a healthy way. <laughs> you right. know, anxiety. Now, pain. Um, so I'll use an example of, of people getting clean and, you know, sober is that, you know, there has to be more pain to continue than to stop. Right. So, but there has to be a lot of pain, you know, that sort of pushes people in. I mean, it's, uh, you know, getting arrested, you know, uh, your, you know, your, your, uh, spouse is going to divorce you, um, losing your job. You know, so there's all kinds of pain that's sort of pushing you to do this now it, it, and that, <laughs> but the problem with that is that pain or is that our minds have a tendency of forgetting painful things. So as time goes on, our minds will forget painful things, right? Our, our brains always seem to focus on good pleasure, enjoyment. We start, stop forgetting, you know, it's kind of the joke about like, how does a how does a mother go out and have five kids, right? After having one and all the pain, you know, you'd think like, okay, that's it, I'm done. You know. <laughs> I was speaking this morning. I said that's why men never are not able to have babies because we would only we only have one and never do that again. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but maybe not though, because look, the thing is though, is that again, our brains forget that stuff. Yeah. You know, they they sort of it loses its power. And so the point on it is that pain uh, brings you in the door, right? But we need to change the motivation, right? That motivation, the pain is, the, is, is what we need, but then we need to change it because the pain will eventually go away. You know, let's think about it, like your, your legal, you get arrested. Eventually your legal stuff will be gone. You know, if you get clean and sober, your spouse all of a sudden starts to trust you again, you know, so now things are getting good. And if that's the reason you're getting, you were getting clean, it's not going to make it. So the other side to it and the motivation that does last is motivating ourselves by moving towards something good or something better in our life. People get sober because of what they don't want, but people stay Ooh. sober because of what they do want. Right? That's good. That, and that's Say the, that again. That's good. People get sober because of what they don't want, but people stay sober because of what they do want. Wow. Right? like you know with me like i could look back and you know i got sober because you know i, I didn't want to you know spend the rest of my life in prison <laughs> you know i got sober because you know i and it was just all these don't you know i i i don't want to be homeless i don't want to be in pain i don't want you know kind of thing but i don't have that today right i don't have that today i i stay clean and sober because i want a happy marriage you know i want to i want to enjoy life you know, I want to, I want happiness, <laughs> you know, you know, in, in your life, you didn't know anything different because I think you said somewhere uh, in your book that from the age of 16 to 28, 
you never had more than six months of being clean and sober during those 12 years. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. And, I, and it was, and it wasn't all meth, you know, because it was uh, like, you know, I tried if you know, you kind of read the book. It's like, I tried all these different things, you know, I was like, going, I'm going to go to college. Right. And so I go to Chico, which at that point in time was the number two party school. I, I not Chico state, but the community called my brother was going to Chico state and number two party school in the country. And I was like, so I go up there and I realize that how cool that was. At least I thought it that way. You know, you could go to any apartment complex any night of the week and find keg parties. And, and so I could not stay sober. I mean, I, it, it's kind of, you know, when I look at myself, I've had to really learn about myself. I've had to learn that I can take anything and make anything a problem. <laughs> if, it, if anything like feels good and gives you that real boost of pleasure, I'll make it a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, and substances were, were, you know, alcohol, um, you know, I tried the heroin, I didn't like downers, you know, I, I got into at one point in time, almost every, you know, substance imaginable that people abuse. And, um, um, and then of course I found the dead, <laughs> the grateful dead was, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that was a, that was a very interesting experience those years. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty much the case. I, I didn't. I mean, when I, you know, went through my first rehab at 16 because I had been arrested at 16. I was arrested four times before I turned 18. Um, I was, you know, the parent's worst nightmare. You know, <laughs> I was not the kid that a parent wanted to have. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, also somewhere that uh, that you're no longer controlled by pain uh, and you're motivated now by dreams, visions, and passions. Uh, so what makes that shift of that pain? Because pain, like you said, there's that fine line. What what made you finally go, hey, success is here, and I want to stay on that side of the fence from yeah. here on? Yeah, that was my, you know, I wanted, like I just wanted, to really find something that meant more to me than the drug and alcohol, you know, in my life, I need to, I really wanted to, and I realized that, you know, when I 28, when I went, you know, got arrested for that fourth time in, in, you know, six months, um, I, I was sick and tired of that life. And, and I was sick and tired of it before. A lot of people think, you know, that all oh, the drug abusers are out there just having good time and fun and things like that. You know, that is not true. It is far from true from, you know, for people that are physically dependent, you know, tissue dependency and stuff, the fun's gone, you know, um, you know, drugs, drug and drugs and alcohol are fun when you choose to do them. But when you have to, that fun's gone. Yeah. You it's know? life it and death. Is, then, isn't it? It's miserable, you know, and, th and that's where that stigma of substance abuse comes in too. You know, people think that, oh yeah, they're just, you know, want to want to you know be a burden on society and all that stuff no they don't know how to get out of it right there's there's a and you know i can remember that you know that period of i wanted to stop but i was scared to death to stop i wanted to stop but i didn't want to stop i did you know <laughs> just that whole thing and and even when i got arrested that fourth time in that six month period I remember riding in with one of the detectives. They, it was a lot of undercover stuff that was, but I drove in with one of the detectives and I remember telling the guy, I said, I'm done. I said, this is it. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. You know? Yeah. And, um, 
And so I got in there, fell asleep, slept for four or five days, you know, um, and then I woke up and I, those cravings, I mean, every, every nerve in my body was saying, I need meth. I, you know, it was just this, and the depression that hits, you know, because of how it screws up your <laughs> central nervous system, but major depression, that anhedonic state, you know, that state of anhedonia is where you're at when you get off meth. And, um, and so I remember I called my bail bondsman again, you know, and he was like, you know what? I need like another thousand bucks, you know, to get you out this time. And I, so I thought about it and I was like, I'm going to call my dad. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I called my dad, you know, and my dad goes, you know, no, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're there. At least I know you're safe. Wow. You know, and, uh, and I agree with him today. I was pissed at the time, but, you know, today, <laughs> but I, but today I'd say, yeah, that was, you know, absolutely the right choice. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's painful. I mean, the, you know, and it's, you know, the like detox is, you know, the pain, the fine line between pain and pleasure, right. Is always an interesting thing because, there really is when you look at, you know, if you look at um, exercising or heroin use, okay, is the good example between fine line between pain and pleasure, right? Um, so when you go out and exercise, right, you, um, you know, you're lift, you're tearing your muscles, you know, doing whatever you do, you know, and of course, afterwards, you're like sore and all that stuff. But while you're doing that, you get a natural release of dopamine. Right. So you get that release of endorphins, the body's natural painkiller, and then you get the release of dopamine. So that there is that, I mean, it, literally that fine line between pain and pleasure, because you're, you know, you're doing things that are pain and then you're getting a release of dopamine where you get the pleasure. You know? yeah. um, so full circle here, how did you get on the other side of the desk? Now you're the one behind the <laughs> desk in front of the people that are going through and you're the one providing the help how did that come about well so when i got out of custody um and i went into rehab um so i was you know after my sentence i was quarter to six months in a residential program also and so i went into a program and that was where i had that counts the same one that told me to, to do the uh the you know gratitude and appreciation um I was talking to him about like, you know, what am I going to do with my, you know, I'm a, I'm a six time convicted felon, right? Who's going to hire me? What am I going to do with my life? And that was, and that's the one thing that, and that's that whole saying you had said, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. But I had to, and that I, I learned that in life, but that's where the, you know, counselor I, I had said, you know what? He's like, what if you think, what if you get into this field, right? He's like, you communicate well, and I was, you know, but I was uncertain, but, you know, and I think at the, I think initially it was because of that fear that I decided to go to school, you know? And so I went to, I went to college and, um, and so I did all that and I, you know, got my, and so that's sort of the path that I went down. I'm glad I did it. You know, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. You know, I know two things real well counseling and drug dealing. So <laughs> <laughs> you had made a comment that there's a, there's a difference between treatment and recovery. Yeah. What is that difference in a nutshell? 
Yeah. So treatment is, is, you know, like you go, you go into a program and, you know, you, you learn tools or things like that, you know, in, in the treatment process, you know, of things that I'm going to apply recovery on the other hand is the big picture, you know, yeah. really behind everything. I tell people, you know, cause so many people think that there's only one way to do it. 12 step program. You know, that's the whole thing. You know, if you don't go to, you don't go to the 12 step program. You're going to get loaded. You hear that all the time. You know, that is not true. Um, they, they've done studies. 40% of people in recovery have never gone to rehab nor 12 step program. And so there is plenty of other ways to do it. Um, but I guarantee, but there is a couple of things. One is that you have to, um, have to have a support system. You have to have a support system. Sorry, my cat's walking. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you got to have a support system. You know, you got to have people that you can call. Um, you got to work on yourself. You know, the spiritual aspects of it, I think, is big. You know, um, that, you know, and I look at spirituality because a lot of people get stuck on that one. You know, and people are like, you know, uh, I can't, I don't believe in God. How am I going to do this? And so if you look up spirituality in the dictionary, it says to be spiritual, <laughs> look up spiritual and it says to have spirit. And then you look up spirit and this is actually where it has value. And there's a lot of different meanings that are behind spirit. And one of them, obviously there is some that are related to God and religion and things like that. But there's also the one that really stands out for people that may struggle with that. And that is to have a meaning and a purpose in life, mm -hmm. right? And that is, that is part of recovery, you know, yeah. is that we have a meaning, we have a purpose, we know where we're going. The people that I see that make it in recovery, they, they know where they're going, what they're doing, may not have all the answers, but, you know, a good idea of, you know, how to get to where I'm going. If I don't know, then I know who to talk to. You know, we also realize that in this world, we don't have to do it alone. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, the, you know, the 12-step program is an amazing, right? I'm not in the 12-step program, right? Um, I did do it. It was, a, you know, it was a part of me in early recovery. But the one thing I will say that the 12-step program has that is just unbelievable is that you will have people there that you can call in the middle of the night and they'll answer the phone. You know, you have people that will drive 50 miles to pick you up if they have to. You know, you got people that will go way out of their way. You do not have to do this alone. That is the, that's the key for people to realize, yeah. you know, hand your problems over to somebody else. <laughs> you know, we only got a minute or two. Is there, is there a way you can respond or explain about the individual Edward Dean? Uh, the one that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was written about. It's worth buying the book just to hear this. The well, commonality between Dean. us and Edward can you do that in a in a abbreviated? And then I want to have you come back, and I really want to stretch that out because that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, the so the thing with with that was was it goes back to that whole thing about having a purpose in life, you know, yeah. having some kind of meaning in life, and that there really is no, you know, it was, you know, Edward Gein obviously did horrible things, yeah, you know, and his story is is brutal, but there really is not a lot of difference between that because of what we're ultimately looking for in life too, the way he found it, even his mother, you know, kind of explains in there about his mother, you know, that she thought what she was doing was the right thing. You know, she thought that, that, um, you know, she had a purpose and was fulfilling it. 
her, you know, she believed that, you know, the afterlife is where she was going to find enjoyment, you know, obviously not here on earth. <laughs> she, she was a little wacky, yeah. <laughs> you know, but well, yeah, that's that, what was, that was a wonderful, wonderful illustration. It, it really like, wow, that's good. That's good. In, in 30 seconds, because they're getting ready to cut us off in 30 seconds. Here's the $64,000 question. According to you, what's true success? True success is whatever you say success is to you, you know? Um, you know, the thing is, is like I, and, and I talk a lot about that with success, you know, success for some people, it's money. Some people, it's, you know, a, a big house. Some people, it's just happiness. Some people, it's just, I just want to enjoy life, right? And so that's success. You know, it's not for me to say. You know, it's for you to define what your success is and go get it. Fantastic. Tell you what, I I encourage everybody in the name of this book is pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success by Eric McCoy. Get this one. And I, and do you think Eric, this isn't just for people that have used drugs or alcohol. I can see people that are pimps. I can see people that are human trafficking other people going through human trafficking themselves, uh, prostitution. I can see people that are workaholics. All these different things can be applied into your book, your story, and get some great truth out of it. How about that? The book, yeah, the book is absolutely, I mean, it's substance abuse, but no, it applies to everything. I mean, because a lot of it's about loving ourselves, caring about ourselves, you know, Uh, thinking for ourselves. Yeah. Great points. I'd love to have you back. I hope you can because I didn't get through half of this. Uh, and Let's I'm probably it. going to be one of those where I read that book again and again because there's a lot of meat on that bone and I just took off the skin. So I need to get in deeper. Cool. Let's do it. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll do this again soon. Appreciate Sounds it. Sounds great. All like right. we do every week, I always like to do is let you know that no matter what you're going through, and you just saw an absolutely uh, perfect example from Eric and his cat uh, tonight of what (laughs) life is all about and how to be able to decipher between the two voices, one on each side, and to make the right choices. So no matter what you're dealing with in life, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter how many times you have been handcuffed and thrown in the back of a a squad car, I want to let you know, There's always, always, always hope, and there's hope for you. Never forget that. Join us next week for another edition. You will not want to miss that one of Breaking the Silence. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome weekend again. Happy Mother's Day. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.